صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Palestine Remembered. Today, we are honoured to have a special guest from the United Kingdom. You're not quite a doctor yet, almost a doctor, mostly a doctor, but a fantastic Palestinian woman. She's an artist, activist and academic. Shahad Abu Salama, she's joining us from London. Good morning, Shahad. Good morning. Thank you so much, Nasser, for hosting me. Thank you so much for giving up some time to be with our listeners today. Shahad, you came to my attention because of what happened to you after your recent appointment to a university position. And we're going to talk about that. But before that, why don't we take our listeners through your experience, an understanding of your Nakba story. I was born in uh, Jabalia refugee camp, Palestine's largest refugee camp, and north of the Gaza Strip. And of course, that camp is a direct result of the ethnic cleansing of Palestine in 1948. My grandparents were ethnically cleansed from Beit Jirja and Ashdud in 1948 to make way for Israeli apartheid to exist. And that happened, of course, with the support of imperial powers. So the apartheid reality and the settler colonial reality is something that had shaped our lives one generation after the other. And we grew up with uh, prison walls erected around us and getting higher and higher and suffocating us. And of course, I've lived through the transition of Israel's occupation from a physical occupation inside the Gaza Strip that once divided the Gaza Strip into south and north, and then the remote control occupation that literally turned the Gaza Strip into a laboratory where Israel would experiment maximum control and no responsibility over the occupied people. So these past 16, 17 years, basically since 2005, since Israel so-called disengaged from Gaza and pulled out its troops and settlers to, to put them all around the Gaza Strip and besiege us from land, sea and air. This period has been honestly like difficult to put in words. And the moment I remember my, my childhood, what I've been through, what Israel calls the, rail, the rains of summer, of course, rains being a metaphor for explosives, tons of explosives falling on our heads in the heat of summer in 2004. And then the 2008-2009 attack, it led to 1,200 Palestinians being killed, a third of whom are children. And at that time, I was only 17 when I lived through this large-scale offensive on the Gaza Strip. And I saw people being around me like as, as usual. And then in the morning they're around me, in the evening they're buried. 
buildings. They stood tall and, and hosted families, dozens of them. And then they are reduced to rubbles, whole neighborhoods wiped out, families completely taken out of family registry in, in Gaza. And these are sort of terrors that we have lived repeatedly in the Gaza Strip. And this is a form of ethnic cleansing. And to see those crimes, to live through them, to experience the devastation and the loss, and to be a daughter as well of refugees who were dispossessed of everything, and to be a, a daughter of a Palestinian political prisoner who spent 15 years of his life in captive resistance. First time he was detained, he was 14 years old. And then next time he was detained, he was 19. And he was sentenced to seven lifetimes with each lifetime equaling 99 years to any Palestinian. So my father was supposed to die in prisons. So my father had been in prison from 1972 until 1985, thinking that he was going to die in prison. But the resistance intervened, and with the capturing of two Israeli soldiers in Lebanon in the 80s, uh, they managed to broker a swap deal, a prisoner's exchange, in 1985 that suspended the life sentences of my father. And this is how I came, you know, to life. I mean, I, I could have been just a dream, if you see what I mean. Like, and these are the stories that I grew up with. I came to life by chance, and so many Palestinians know what that means because they have also been born in situations of life and death. I was born as well in a situation of life and death where one of my first experiences as a fetus in my mom's belly as she went through her labor journey, through curfew imposed on Jabalia refugee camp, and she had to break that curfew that dictated any moving being could be killed, just shot dead. And my, my grandma helped my mom, and she had to, to hold a lantern in one hand and a white cloth in the other, as they both powered through the alleys of Jabalia refugee camp and they were stopped and harassed by Israeli soldiers who could see my mom on the verge of giving birth to me and they still entertained directing and, and pointing guns at my mom's belly and this was one of my first experiences coming to this to this earth and anybody with a with a psychological background would understand that this would have long-lasting experience on both mothers and the child. That was basically the start of a life of oppression for me and any refugee really born in that situation. So when, when you see somebody like me defying prison walls, surviving several of Israel's attacks on Gaza that left no one immune of death, not a child, not any protected group under international law, 
I'm so sorry. It's so personal. I really appreciate you being so honest and raw with our audience. Please, if it's too deep, you can just say no more. I want to go back a moment to your father and because he was given those sentences, allegedly a member of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. So I want to talk about the brutality of Israel's system. The concept of a siege, what Gaza is living through now, it's a medieval construct. It was when an invading army surrounded a castle and didn't let water in, didn't let food in, and we would starve the population and make them collapse and cave, and then we would take the castle. The barbarity of it is being played out in real-life high-definition today. As you said, a laboratory where Israel is using the most sophisticated of technology and then marketing it through its companies, Elbert and Associates, as battle-tested, which means we have already killed Palestinians and managed Palestinian populations with it. But your father, his release, the despicability of the occupation forces. When your father was released, a prisoner was actually given the responsibility of reading out people's names. And this prisoner, he's since passed, the hero of the resistance, Omar al-Qasim, he had to read out all the names of the prisoners that were being released. And with every name that was called out, there was joy and happiness because the prisoners are a brotherhood. And as they were calling out the names, his voice started to break because he realized that his name wasn't on the list. In their cruelty, in their barbarity, the Israelis, the Zionists, our occupiers and oppressors, forced this man to read out every name and he would have been filled with joy for everyone that was being released. And his pain at not being released is his own and we shared it with him. But this poor guy died four years later of medical neglect to ensure maximum punishment. They made sure that he read out the list that didn't include his name. So we, we need to remember the barbarity of um, the Zionist control system isn't just specific to a, a singular event being a war or bombing or a massacre or the siege. It gets down to the very micro level harassing a pregnant mother about to give birth, torturing, mentally torturing a prisoner by not making him read out names when his name is not on the list. In the meantime, we all know who, who Gilad Shalit is. Gilad Shalit was captured on a tank in Gaza. He is a prisoner of war. The equivocation of suddenly we are terrorists and we're holding... This is the most outrageous thing. After all these crimes, after like entertaining all these forms of oppression against a whole population just because they are Palestinians and they don't count as humans worthy of sympathy or humanity in the eyes of Israel. And after all this, they dare to come and pretend to be the victims here and accuse me of anti-Semitism, taking my words out of context and twisting them to serve their benefits. The people who have been trying to discredit me and to cancel me and to silence me are people who are speaking in support of Israeli apartheid. Let's give the audience some context. You've just finished your PhD and submitted it in December, waiting for it to be examined, of course. You offered a job and had you even started the job? I did, I did. And I was actually quite excited about it because the, the module was called post-colonial media culture. 
And it's like, it couldn't be personal, you know? And I was going to teach, literally, I was going to teach about my life through these fascinating theories that bring the post and post-colonialism into question, into serious question, because we know that the culture of colonialism is not a culture of the past. For the Palestinians, it's bright clear. It is colonialism in the now. We wake up to it every day. Settler colonialism. And it's... Uh, you're two weeks in, into the teaching course. I, well, I, only, I only did one lecture. One lecture? It was the 17th of January was the first lecture where I was going to orient the students about the, you know, an overview of what the module is about. And then I was going to meet them on the 21st of January, hours before my meeting, with the, with the students, my second meeting, I get the news that I am suspended and the classes are canceled until further notice. And I, I just, I was presented with this email and I, you know, like my whole life sprang into me in the front, like just rushed in front of my eyes. Like, because it's, you know, it's not just about this. As, as a Palestinian, I don't see this in isolation of the previous things that I've experienced. So literally my whole life rushes before my eyes. And, and it's so triggering. And I see my future at stake, my life at stake. And I am 30 year old, I just turned 30. And I have my whole life ahead of me. And my parents sacrificed everything to provide a better future for their children. And I, I threw hell in order to be where I am here. I studied many years on candlelight under power cuts in order to, to come here. Such struggles that to do with day to day, you know, like even every minute of your daily life as things that are incomprehensible to people here. And those who accuse me, they, they have no clue who I am or what my family have been through. In fact, they do have, abs they absolutely know who you are. They absolutely know that you are a representative of the embodiment of Palestinian liberation and independence and steadfastness and strength. They know absolutely the Zionist media in the United Kingdom. They launched a campaign against you, discredited you, used the flawed IHRA working definition of anti-Semitism to say that you're an anti-Semite. Let's stop here by the IHRA definition, because I mean, like, you only need to know that this tool is flawed and unfit for purpose. You only need to know that seven of 11 examples that are listed under the IHRA as an indication of anti-Semitism are to do with the Israeli state. Seven out of 11 examples are to do with the Israeli state. I mean, if this is not a political tool, then what is? One of these, one of these examples explicitly says that calling Israel a racist endeavor can be anti-Semitic then this, in, in, in this sentence in itself, there is a complete denial of the Palestinian experience. It's horrific. And of course it cannot be accepted because there is dismissal of our own experience and it cannot be justified. Our experiences cannot be justified then 
if Israel is not a racist endeavor that, that sought to literally eliminate the indigenous people of Palestine in an act of memoricide, in an act of ethnic cleansing, in order to, to uh, exist at, at, our, in, at the expense of our erasure, like if this is not racism, then what is? There is no better definition of racism than that. And this is one of the arguments against the construct that Zionism has created as a safe haven for Judaism. If your safe haven is predicated on the oppression and the denial of and the extermination of and the liquidation of an indigenous population, then that's not safety. That's oppression, pure and incarnate. So these Zionist media launched this campaign. They got all of their Zionist bots and students to send in complaints. The university, Sheffield Hallam University, immediately suspended you, cancelled the classes. Then what happened? Then um, I just got more vocal. You know, they were trying to silence me. We did the Palestinian thing. We got louder. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And And I belong to a family of like fighters. So it just runs in the body. It runs in my blood. So I, I just, you know, like they are trying to silence you then you reclaim your voice. And my way of reclaiming my voice is by mobilizing and letting everyone know. And literally the support that my case galvanized reached all four corners of the world, but especially in the mobilization in Sheffield really was um, the most brilliant. And, And even at a university level, and so this is your colleagues in the teaching facility as well as students? Yeah, the, the, we have a union called the uh, UCU, the uh, Universities and Colleges Union. And we have a branch in my university that is basically, it's a, a body that pressures, that pressures the university. Well, it's a body that represents the interests of its staff. That's what unions are supposed to do. Exactly. So they present the staff and they would act as a lobby against the yep. university in case any of the staff members are facing persecution mm-hmm. or any form of injustice. Uh, and so they have been with me actually from day one that I entered this university. And they saw the pattern, they saw the pattern of suppression and exclusion because this is not the first time you know they it's have not the first, it's not the first time at Sheffield or not the first I know it's not the first no. time in England we've had cases here in Australia is it the first time at Sheffield or not the first time at Sheffield not the first time at Sheffield Hallam University that I am uh, oh, right. being cancelled uh, and, and silenced and demonized but they they cancelled you without an investigation I mean there has to be a process theoretically where if a lecturer is, in inverted commas, bad, there has to be a process where that person can be disciplined. But it must be an investigation, the opportunity for defence, there must be the uh, pursuit of evidence and witnesses, you know, like in a trial-type situation that we might see in a movie. But you were denied any due process, just an email between your first and second lesson. Yeah, yeah. But since you're mobilising and you did the full Palestinian, let's get loud. Yeah. What happened after that? Because this is the good news. A week later, I got reinstated. 
So, um, so after the reinstation, I couldn't, you know, stay. Uh, I, I didn't feel rest, you know, like mm -hmm. I was still restless. I was still agitated. And, and the investigation was uh, supposed to still carry on. So I am reinstated, but there is an investigation that would have the IHRA definition as a framework for judgment against me. And if you use that definition, then I am by definition an anti-Semite mm -hmm. because I do go everywhere saying Israel is a racist state. Mm -hmm. And this is not just my words now. These are the words of Amnesty International, of even Israeli human rights organizations. Yep. It's Salem called Israel an apartheid state. And of course, the Palestinians have been shouting their throats for decades that this is uh, settler colonialism, this is apartheid, and, and people who are victims of apartheid in South Africa saw a worse version of apartheid in Palestine. And they spoke against it till the last days of their lives. Let's not forget Archbishop Desmond Tutu was one of the most vocal against Israeli apartheid. And, and he, he even addressed the Israeli community. And this is what actually should be done. It should, it sh the, the people of Israel that are helping maintain the, the Israeli apartheid need to go and search within their souls for humanity. They need to, to face the mirror and face the fact that they are part of dehumanizing a whole nation, that they are trying to exist and breathe at the expense of our suffocation and erasure. And, and it is, of course, it's a, it's a process of colonization that depends on brainwashing, that depends on, uh, on the colonization of mind as well as the land. And with the colonization of mind, it is not only the oppressed here that is um, a victim, but the oppressor too. If you want to, if you want to, you know, if, you, if we consider uh, theories of Franz Fanon and Albert Memmi and this relationship between the colonized and the colonizer, of course, the, the privileges of the colonizer are sustained and maintained by the, the oppression of the colonized. One of the things, you know, I struggle to get people to understand when, you know, Westerners say it's not apartheid, it's not like, like South Africa. We say, look, you know, you've got to understand there's settler colonialism can come in a couple of different ways. There is settler colonialism that we understand in Australia, in New Zealand, in uh, the Polynesian countries, in the United States, where the settler came in and eradicated for all intents purposes, eradicated the indigenous people and replaced them. In South Africa, the colonization there was a minority ruling a majority and using them as captive labor, cheap labor, uh, expendable resource, if you will. Yeah. Israel is an apartheid state by second choice. Yeah, exactly. By second choice. Its first choice is to be the America model. Its first choice, and if you look at any of those historians, you know, uh, Benny Morris and, and those, you know, revisionists, they say them, the, the challenge was 
In 48, we didn't do a big enough job. In 67, our tanks were too fast for their buses. The buses didn't get out quicker than our tanks got past them. So we have to hold them to account because it is a racist endeavor. Shahid, the mobilization was international, as I know. People were writing in in support. You had your union in support, students in support. You've been reinstated. Did you get an apology? Um, well, I got an apology informally, but not uh, not officially. No, like this is one of the things that are, you know, on demand still. Mm-hmm. And we are still demanding an apology because, yeah. you know, like what has done has uh, has made me a, a very high profile. I mean, I, I was always public, you know, uh, speaking on um, protests and rallies and uh, organizing events. And um, of course, with the Dabke, I, I performed to thousands of audiences across the UK. So I, I always held a, a public role, but this sort of public role where I'm, my own character is being assassinated, my future is put at stake, and my university, whether they like it or not, they did contribute to that to this demonization of me. They abandoned um, you when you needed their support. Exactly. And now I'm like, I'm, I'm saying, yes, of course, like I appreciate them correcting their behavior and reinstating me and even offering me a better job contract. But the we cannot ignore the harm that has been caused. Uh, and, and these are... Um, consequences that I may have to deal with for the rest of my life. And I am not going to let the Zionists decide my future or decide the future of any Palestinian who leaves Gaza tomorrow and is met with all these contradictions outside their prisons and and dares to speak up only to be called uh, anti-Semite just for daring to expose the hypocrisies and the contradictions that are keeping us captivated and dehumanized. And so, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for my future, but also for the future of all these young people who, who may definitely face the same fate as me. And this is an, an ideological condemnation of a rightful resistance against the colonizer against an apartheid state. And that is the resistance that should get the solidarity and support of everybody around the world with pride. With pride. Jahed, you are a phenomenon and you uh, really make us so very proud to be Palestinian and congratulations on your victory and you face them with dignity and pride and they lost and you will give much inspiration to so many Palestinians all over the world, academics. I just need to remind that yes, I, I am victorious and, and I, I am staying strong with the support of all those justice lovers around the world who spoke up in my support. However, the negative media is still flooding my way. Mm-hmm. The trolls are still flooding my way. Threats are still flooding my way. And they are stooping lower and lower every day. And I'm dealing with this. And the circle of attack is even expanding, if you see what I mean. 
mm. and the pressure on my university is increasing. And Zionists are trying now to use generic statements in, in, on behalf of Jews, of course, lies, blatant lies, that, that claim that my re-employment on campus makes all Jews unsafe. This is a direct incitement, a blatant incitement of racial hatred and of division as well. There is, there is no such anti-Jewish bigotry that is welcomed amongst uh, our, our groups. It's, it is not welcome, not any form of racism is welcomed in our movement. We know what racism means. We know what it is like, what it is like to be single, singled out for your nationality or your religion or whatever. We know this and that is why the Palestinians would fight any sort of oppression wherever they see it. But Israel cannot speak in the name of Jews and Jews are increasingly rising up and speaking up and saying this is not in our name. And the people who would know oppression, who know, who have lived through oppression, their solidarity with the Palestinians is expected and it should come without question. We've run out of time. Artist, activist, academic, almost Dr. Shahid Abu Salama. Thanks so very much for joining us. You really make us so proud. Thank you so much, Nasser. I'm, I'm proud of you to keep up the great work. And that was Shahid Abu Salami. I'm sure you'll agree, one of the best guests we've ever had on and an inspiration to us, one and all. Please share the podcast, tell your friends, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.